Hi, welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is the other thing I do. My guest this week is Arturo Perez Torres, a documentary filmmaker who made the jump to dramatic features with an adaptation of Michael Healy's The Drawer Boy last year, which resulted in two major nominations at this Sunday's Canadian Screen Awards. Richard Clarkin is up for Best Supporting Actor, and Arturo is in the running for Best Adapted Screenplay. I hope things work out for both of them. Arturo picked E Tu Mama Tambien, Alfonso Cuaron's 2001 breakout road movie about two Mexico City pals, Julio and Tenoche, whose plan to drive out to a remote beach that they both love is complicated in all sorts of ways when they invite along a woman named Luisa, who has a secret. A critical and popular hit, the film made movie stars of all three leads, Gael Garcia Bernal, Diego Luna, and Maribel Verdú, and enjoyed a healthy run at festivals all around the world. It also earned Coron and his brother Carlos an Oscar nomination for Best Original Screenplay. They lost to Pedro Almodovar's Talk to Her. Y tu mama también is better. This is someone else's movie. Well, first, uh, it was hard to, to find one movie. Because, <laughs> I hear that. You know, I was talking to Winnie, and um, every time of your life you have a favorite movie. So I had a favorite movie when I was 18, when I was 20, and so on. Mm-hmm. But when I had to narrow it down to one, I felt that um, this one was specifically good because it's for Mexico. It represents a, I'm from Mexico, so it's it kind of like identifies with me. The characters are a bit younger than me, but I grew up through what they do. And um, especially the photography has affected how I like and how I do filmmaking. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Emmanuel Lueski is my all-time favorite photographer. I feel that his style hasn't changed much. It has developed a lot, but uh, you can see... This is not his first movie either, mm. but uh, you can see how he has always loved that style that is represented in this movie, which is very hands-on, very um, low-budget in a way, but very creative. Yeah. There's an intimacy to this as a film as well, but I yeah. think it would be very different if someone was just shooting it flat and yeah. not getting closer or not. Yeah, yeah, lingering yeah. yeah. The way that I've read, I don't know if you've read stories about how he, um, how they decided to make the handheld camera, but uh, apparently they were going to use um, a Steadicam. And when they brought all the equipment, the, the operator couldn't really get to work it, and uh, Emmanuel wasn't very familiar with it, so okay. they're like, screw this, let's just do it handheld. Is that just didn't work? And it they didn't work, so they went for it, yeah. which wasn't part of the plan, but since it was pretty much a low-budget movie at the time, they were like, let's just try it, we cannot afford to lose a whole day or two days to bring you know, another operator or another camera that works. So they made some tests. They kind of liked the, the, the result, and they, they went for it. So it was kind of like a happy accident. Oh, that's great. I, I did not know that. I, mm-hmm. Everything about the film feels so deliberate and, cho- and you know, yeah. considered that I would never have thought it was done on the fly. But Yeah, guess... that part was, and um, it's great. It's great. I mean, I always admire uh, Dogma 95 films, and a lot of them use a uh, handheld camera. Mm-hmm. But this one, combined with the long takes and um, 
just very fluid movement. I, I love it. Yeah. When you said dogma, I thought, yeah, emotionally, there's something to it. But it, the, like, the, the, this movie violates everything that dogma stands yeah, for. Right. Uh, the narrator and the, yeah. you know, the sense of yeah. manufactured uh, worlds that you're, you're experiencing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, all, it's all gorgeously put together. Yeah. And dogmas aren't pretty. Like they, they've never been interested in that. You know, they want right. one thirty three kind of yeah. rustic confrontational yeah, yeah, yeah. aspect for sure, for sure. But there is something like emotionally, it does feel like that. You're seeing something that feels real and true and, and raw and powerful yeah. in a way that even the characters can't articulate. Yeah. I think a lot of it has to do with the camera, the camera movement, and with the music. Right? Like you don't really have a soundtrack. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything's diegetic. Everything comes from a place within the movie. Yeah. When. Um, Maribel Verdú is dancing at the end, at, at the beach, mm-hmm. that beautiful scene. She plays the music from the um, Rocola, right? And the music is coming from there. Um, so I think that gives it a sense of we're here. It's kind of like immediate. It's not that stylized. It feels more natural, more close to you, I yeah. think. There's a... Um, given that it is scripted, and now yeah. it was really strange to look back on it and see these incredibly recognizable faces. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were they were established actors in in Mexico, but to some degree, it yeah. was definitely the first I'd seen. I think any of them. Yeah, in two thousand one. Well, um, Garcia Bernal, um, he was in Amores Perros, right before this That's one. Right? Was it the same year that they both played? Tiff? I think it was one or maybe two years, but no more than that. Okay, and uh, he kind of. Well, it was like the indie movie of the year mm-hmm. around the world, probably. And uh, he kind of started getting known. Yeah. And then with this one, then everything exploded. Yeah. And I know I'd never seen Luna before. He was... I haven't seen that either. He's just... And he is so... They're, they're both great. They're, yeah. They're, um, instantly, they're completely authentic as kids. Like, yeah. They don't feel like they've grown up yet, but yeah. they're... they're actors playing these, yeah. these emotions and, and finding what what makes it look almost to me which I love too because uh, um, I'm um, a documentary filmmaker this is the first fiction I've made so I've mm-hmm. been making documentaries for 10 years so I appreciate when a movie looks and feels so real that you can start thinking that it's a documentary obviously this is scripted and what have you but what Cuaron did, he casted them together because they were friends mm-hmm. since childhood. They grew up together, basically, since they were eight. They went to school together. And then they both became actors as friends. So there were many scenes where, especially when they're taking a shower and they're just goofing around, that that's not a scripted. He's like, just we're just going to roll. You guys have fun. That's That was the direction. Or make fun of each other or whatever. That was it. So it feels you can feel the rapport between them, how they are best friends. Yeah, it's the kind of thing where I mean, it's mm. one thing that they're friends and they're comfortable with each other, but yeah. they also have chemistry, right? Uh, which reads. Yeah, I mean, there there yeah. is there is that. Yeah. Um, every now and then you'll hear about a movie made by friends, and it's just it sort of takes for granted. They don't work for it, and the performances yeah. don't really play. Yeah. But this feels alive and real in a yeah. way that. A lot of other films don't. And I'm just, I, I'm assuming that's because they are comfortable with one another and they're I, great actors. But I agree. I agree. I think this movie is a great example of um, of what filmmaking is, which is collaboration. Mm. Everybody's like, what on? And, you know, that's the first name that comes out. Like, he's great and he's done really well. 
But if we think that the actors were best friends, then uh, Chivo Lubezki and him, they are great friends. They went to school went together, together yeah. too. They made this movie together. So they know how to work with each other, right? They feed off each other. So that's a true collaboration, mm -hmm. and it shows in the film, the familiarity. You're not fighting or you're not having to prove yourself. You just grow on the ideas of each other. You feed off of each other, right? Yeah. So I think you, you, you can tell. Yeah. And that trust extends in a weird way to the script, right? Because For sure. it has to trust her with the yeah. secret. Yeah. Yeah. And the script is written by uh, Cuaron's brother, right? So yes, it's yes. all kept like in the family, I guess, yeah. in the extended family. Yeah. And it is just, it feels like one of those things that shouldn't work. It shouldn't exist. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it feels like luck. Yeah, that it all came together, that it all worked. Right. The, yeah. the, your story about the Steadicam makes me think it is. It's like yeah, it's not. I'm sure it was incredibly difficult to make, but it feels like it was just guaranteed. Yeah, that everything is exactly where it, it needs work. to be. And and yeah. I think that's part of it is that Quaron's facility with the camera and, and mm -hmm. with storytelling, that's his his gift is to yeah. show you. And he's only been. <laughs> challenging himself further with these incredibly yeah. complex setups that he does yeah. that with um, maybe not so much with Harry Potter but certainly with Children of Men and Gravity yeah. and, and Roma he is building challenges to the viewer yeah. that he pulls off and makes he makes look simple and, and yeah, elegant for sure uh, and on this one you don't feel that you don't feel the there's a different sort of command yeah of, of camera of, uh, of aesthetic of mise-en-scene he's He's building a world, but the world is messy. It's messy. It's messy in a way, but at the same time, I think it's very controlled. Mm. I think if we talk a bit about the narrator, which sure. is one of my favorite parts of the movie, the narrator doesn't really push the story that we're watching. Yeah. It adds a layer to the context where the story is taking place, right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, the way the narrator comes, it's like a clean cut of the soundtrack the the image continues but it suddenly goes off yeah and then you hear this voice telling you something that is context yeah it feels like a footnote it's almost like While a you're footnote it. it's, yeah it's like additional yeah like a comment of making off maybe or something <sighs> but it works in a i find that that's one aspect of, of Cuaron that I like, that he never forgets where he's from. He wants to make a political and a sociological uh, comment on it. So all his um, comments in this movie, the narrator comments, are about death, about the political situation of Mexico. So even though you're watching a story that is supposed to be about fun, about teenagers that just want to have sex, it's, it is that, but it's much more than that. It's mm -hmm. about where it's taking place, it's about social differences. It's about so many other things, right? Yeah. Which finds it so fun. Well, I mean, everyone is influenced by the world they live in. Exactly. And, I mean, that's such a huge theme of Roma that people seem unwilling to yeah. investigate uh, if they want to argue about, you know, the privilege of, the, of certain characters versus the, so, the focal point of the film. Yeah. But this movie is that as well. It, it's the same sort of awareness. It knows exactly where these people are and who they are yeah. and how that informs their interactions yeah. and what it means to um, maybe not slum. We're, we are led to believe that she is slumming with them, that she's just sort of using them for an easy mm -hmm. entertainment while she runs away from whatever it is she's running away from. Yeah. And we're led to believe that she's found out that 
perhaps her husband has been unfaithful and that's why she flees and yeah. it turns out of course that there's something far far deeper mm-hmm. going on um but the the way the movie uses her status is really i mean of course it's clever yeah but it's painful yeah it's it's by the end of it when we understand the fullness of it it's yeah it's someone who can't buy her way into happiness and also can't save herself yeah with who she is yeah that, that second yeah when that penny drops when that other shoe lands it's yeah. devastating yeah yeah she's doomed we don't know that until the end but right. she knows that this is it for her this is probably her last trip that she's gonna take right I think um, she also becomes some sort of um, guide to them yeah you know which I find really endearing because these are two you know they, they're supposed to be 17 18 years old last year of high school and she guides them and opens probabilities and new worlds for them, you know? Mm-hmm. And she challenges them. I, I, I love the, um, the scene when they are fighting in the middle of the road and, and she tells them, you know, like, when you play with babies, you end up just changing diapers. And she kind of curses herself, it's like, I'm out of here. You yeah. know? And they like, have to convince her because they not only lost the conquest, but they lost their guide. And without her, nothing makes sense anymore. The trip doesn't make sense. It's not just about having sex with her. It's, it becomes way much more than that. Yeah. And that's, again, it's, it's shattering because, on, I mean, I can, only, I can only relate to it now after multiple viewings. And yeah. every time it's more tragic, every time it's sadder, because you can see Verdu bite back on this because yeah. she's about to tell them over and over and over again it almost comes out and it, yeah. you don't I did not notice it at all the first time through Yeah, it looks like she's just stopping herself from saying something else that could be wisdom or cliche or something yeah. you know, like one more lesson yeah. but of course she wants to tell them and can't yeah. or won't Yeah, and there's that there's that moment and then there's the moment I thought it was going to come out on I think third or fourth viewing I thought I could sort of see her playing it uh, in the in the in the love scene Right, and she's about to tell them how important this is to her. Right, and right, right. At she, the end, you, yeah, towards yeah. the very end, and she sort of chokes back something, mm-hmm. and maybe it's just a gulp of anticipation, or maybe mm. it's tension. One, there was one moment where one one viewing where I thought, oh, she wants to tell them mm-hmm. right here, right now. It almost comes out. Yeah, I think maybe there was a point where I watched it just looking for it. Yeah, for that moment yeah, in her yeah, performance. yeah. Because that's that's the point. I never. I always thought that she didn't want to tell them. But I have to watch it with that. I think she's fighting. She's part of the performance. Is her fighting the impulse? Yeah. Um, Because I don't think she intends to initially. Certainly, she doesn't. But but she, as she gets closer to them, I think the more of her wants to be honest. Yeah. And more of her, her, um, her, her relationship with them becomes about withholding and I think I mean I think it only from Verdu's performance it's nowhere in the script it's not even in the yeah, narration right but she feels there's a melancholy a sadness that she can't be fully honest yeah and it reads to us as withholding the first time because she's just not giving her full self to them mm-hmm. and then finally when you understand what it is she's holding back it's yeah. just it's so tragic I just yeah. keep coming back to that point over and over again because yeah. for all of the accomplishments of the film it's the the this just this sense of a hollow sadness that that yeah. lingered with me I mean ever since the first time I saw it it's just yeah. you 
you can love it and feel exhilarated by it, but it, you just want to curl up and cry afterwards. I know, and just once you find out what happened, mm. yeah. I love that she stays at the end and they go back. I always imagine when I saw it the first time in when it came out, mm. like how uncomfortable that drive back must have been, <laughs> right? Because it's like a 12-hour drive, that's mm. how I assumed thinking of the beach that they went to on the coast uh -huh. coming from Mexico City that's at least well, I watched the 12 movie. hours yeah, we spent the whole movie getting there exactly so it'll take at least another hundred minutes to exactly go. <laughs> yeah. so I'm like oh my god talk about uncomfortable silences <laughs> well they don't isn't that the point of it, right? They never see each other again. They it's never see each other again, but they have to drive to the end of it, right? Mm -hmm. And then uh, I love that at the end. It's a, it's a great ending. Mm -hmm. And the narrator, for the first time, or maybe not the first time, but for a final time, makes a point, but this is about the story when they tell you and they will never see each other again, right? Yeah. Like looking forward into the future. Yeah. It's funny. I remember when Children of Men came out, someone said it's, he's made a movie about the end of the world. I was like, no, he already did that. <laughs> it's just someone else's world right it's, right, it's right. a different it's a different apocalypse yeah. but it is the end of everything yeah. for these three characters yeah um and it's so small and intimate and, and yeah. focused it's just to see where he's ended up is so thrilling because yeah i i knew he was talented i never would have expected him to take the path he's taken where he's made these massive films that are all still about individuals and, and yeah. emotions and yeah. um, balancing the micro and macro the way he does. Yeah. This is all micro. It's amazing. It's just, this is super micro. Yeah. Tiny. It's so powerful. Yeah. I always wonder when th why they never see each other again. I mean, there's so many um, choices you can have. You can mm -hmm. have because they slept together so they couldn't take you know, having a bisexual relationship or whatever, that would be too much for the way they brought up? Or was it because of the revelations that he tells, one of them tells the other that he slept with his mother? Yes. So it's like, which one? Or was it just, I don't know, Yeah. I think combination the, of both? Yeah, I think the first thing is probably more likely. I don't right. think they're that complex. Right. That they would not be able, that they simply couldn't get over it. Right, they, right, 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 right. You're more yourself... Because they get over when they tell each other that they slept with each other's girlfriends. That's yeah, a, that's you know, nothing. It's just a small fight, and then they're yeah, they're best friends again. Yeah, it's funny. There's um, there's a movie that absolutely nobody cares about yeah. <laughs> called uh, "We Are Your Friends." It came out about three years ago. Zac Efron is a, a DJ in it, and it's 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 fine. It's not it's not good. It's not bad. It's just right. it's a well made empty kind of film. But the whole right. point of it is the emptiness. And there's a moment where. The slightly older character, who's played by Wes Bentley from American Beauty, mm -hmm. uh, he's sort of the over-the-hill DJ. He's thirty, but he's he's mm -hmm. finished, uh, and he has an argument with someone else. And in it, he he shouts in the heat of the moment, "You're still young. You don't know what it is to do something permanent. Mm. You don't know what it means." Right. And that's what this movie is about. Right. Right. Like, right. Everybody right, is right. just. It's it's so strange that I thought about this while I was watching this. Yeah. You know, American disposable summer picture. Yeah. But that's what the that man who wrote that script saw this movie. Like, yeah. That, like a bullet through my head. It felt like a connection right. over 15 years. Yeah. Um, this is a movie about doing things that you can't take back, not knowing that you're doing it, and yeah. not knowing about regret. It's, right. It's the, it's, it is a coming-of-age movie, but it it's the one that everyone tries to make. Yeah. You know, like when things are irrevocable and, yeah. and you become the person you're going to be. Yeah. 
Yeah. And yeah, just to capture those three performances in that movie and that attitude oh, and get amazing. it all over, it's just they're amazing. I keep coming back to the acting. Yeah. The acting is impeccable, especially those two guys and uh, her too. Yeah, she's yeah. great. They're wonderful, and to have it marketed as as it was, as it still is, as this sort of sexy romp. You know, you get to see women oh, yeah. at the beach, and the photograph uh, that they used for, so for the posters was the three of them yeah. together. It's great because it's how you sell the film, yeah, uh, yeah. and trick people into the uh, into the, the undertone. Yeah. But yeah, but I could is. see a lot of people that haven't seen it and read the synopsis, thinking like, "Oh, this is gonna be you know American Pie or, yeah. or some goofy, funny comedy about teenagers trying to have sex from an American point of view." Mm-hmm. And it's, it is that in a way, but I mean, we talked about it, it's way, way much more to yeah. me. Like at the end, I feel changed. Like the first time I saw it, I was expecting that. I'm like, but in, from a Mexican point of view. Sure. Mm-hmm. And when I came out, I was, you know, when, when you see like a really good movie that you just don't even want to talk. Yeah. That's how I, I well, that's what happened to me. It really touched me. Yeah, I I was utterly unprepared for what it was. I mean, I saw it at the um, at the TIFF screening. It must have been so, oh, so right. it was a sunny day in August. Yeah. And we saw it, it in was, this, you know, fifteen years ago, almost right. Longer, almost twenty now. I want to say. Twenty. Was wow. it? Yeah, it's two thousand and one. I think you're right. It's eighteen years. Two thousand one. Yeah. Oh jeez. Um, <laughs> I uh, and it was in this terrible little theater. Uh, underneath the um, the famous Players Building on Bloor Street near the university, it's gone yeah. now. But it was a a small thirty five seat theater underground. The screen was on a tiny bit of an angle because they never bothered to fix it, and it was you know the scratchy old projectors. Even though I'm pretty sure the print hadn't been screened before, right, it was the first right, time right, and it looked right. terrible. But yeah. it was all part of it. It was right. it was exactly the right way to see it to be right. tricked into what it was. Right. I have a good friend, she's a documentary filmmaker that had a film at TIFF mm-hmm. when um, it came out. So she met um, Garcia Bernal before um, he was famous. Oh, he was yeah. just some small actor with his small film. Mm-hmm. And she asked him, like, so what's your film? And he said, y tu mamá también. And he's like, yeah, but in, in English, what's, what's the name? He's like, no, it's going to be released at y tu mamá también. She was like, "What kind of stupid name is that?" He's <laughs> like, "I know. Well, that's what the director wants, you know." Yeah. So it's always funny to think of that how it, it became so big, and uh, the expectations I'm sure for them were not huge. Yeah, no. Alliance uh, owned it at the time, and they had absolutely, they were utterly unprepared for what it was. Right. I think at, even at the festival, it wasn't one of their priorities. Yeah. It was a, it was a small foreign entry yeah just in contemporary world cinema just sort of but then wasn't it nominated for um, Uh, like the script was it nominated for screenplays I think so I will look that up right now because I feel like I should know this I wouldn't be surprised Um, I think it got a nod yeah for uh, original screenplay and it says uh, nominated for one Oscar best original screenplay Carlos and Alfonso Cuaron right and uh, it was at the Golden Globes for Best Foreign Language Film, so I assume Mexico didn't put it right. forward uh, for the Oscars. Was there a competition that year? Oh, but it wasn't nominated until 2002. So, oh, that's right, because it, it played, came out in 2001. It in the spring, right? The right. following year. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. 
And he's won... He hasn't won for screenplay, has he? He's only won for uh, director thus far. That's right. Even Roma lost. Interesting. Because the writing is so essential to his film. Like, the structure yeah. of the films and the screenplay. Yeah. But his... Maybe it's just because his achievements are so visual that people don't give him yeah. that much credit for the script. Yeah. I think he's involved in every department. I mean, he edits all his movies, too. Yeah. Right? And he shot Roma. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and thanked uh, Chivo at, yeah. his, at his Oscar speech. Yeah. Setting, that was his I think, uh, point of from, reference. From what I... Um, read about it is that Chivo was supposed to shoot it, right? Yeah, but they couldn't make the time. They couldn't make it, but they talked about it and they kind of like designed the concepts. So in a way, Chivo's signature is in Roma, right? And and he knows that and he just kind of like executed it, but they came up with the concept of having just kind of like a horizontal pan all the time and all that. I was both because, you know, it's they collaborate, right? They're yeah. they're good together. Yeah, it's what you you know it's what you want in a filmmaker. You have that coherent vision. Yeah, with his collaborators and without them, that he's he is the author of the thing you're seeing. That yeah, the the experience is controlled, curated, helmed by him, and it's yeah. just. I mean, it's evident in this film. And twenty years later, we're watching. It's amazing. Other films that are still the same signature. There, yeah. there's you know Spielberg does it. He does it. Del Toro, I suppose. Yeah. There's only a handful, though. I mean, when you think yeah. about De Palma, maybe, but that maybe. tilts into self-parody around the '90s, right? Um, yeah, no, Quran, the and and Harry Potter is still the outlier, but it's a fascinating outlier because mm-hmm. it's still of the eight movies, it's still the one where they all come to life for the first time yeah. because he puts them in street clothes. Exactly. Um, I know I've discussed this on the podcast before, but it's such an impressive thing that he does. It's just, you know, they're the first two movies, there are these children in robes walking around with other yeah. people in robes and it's all very stiff and, mm-hmm. and it's not alive. You yeah. can't relate to it. And then all of a sudden they're in sweaters and jeans. And it's like, oh right. yeah, they're kids. That, of, course. of course they are. Of course. And I know that was him. That yeah. wasn't, you know, Warner Brothers, Chris Columbus wanted to keep things I the know. way they were. I'm surprised. Do you know why he didn't shoot more? I think he just wanted to do something else. Right. I mean, he's never... I've interviewed him a couple of times. I don't think he's ever talked about it. Um, no, we never have enough time. Like with Gravity, right. I think we, we were supposed to have 20 minutes at TIFF and we only ended up having 10. So oh, right. basically we did the preamble and then they started to wrap us up. Oh, um, no. Which was awful, but yeah love to talk to him at length about these things it's, yeah he is he's absolutely just fascinating right. as, a, as a creative force mm-hmm. and he'll talk about anything he can right. he can discuss you know lenses or or um there was we were talking about uh oh we were talking about the blood splatter in in children of men when the blood splashes up onto the camera lens mm-hmm. and he said that yeah you you have to have a little bulb and it was the question of the length how did he put it the length of the shot changed the the, the bl- consistency of the blood because it would be held in someone's hand long enough that it would get warm and it would go it would squirt the wrong right, way right and right it's just like yeah of course you'd have to work this out you have to work oh, everything <laughs> out details the man's a machine um, but he he's not a machine because he has this massive massive heart yeah uh, and this film is about that it's it's about compassion and connection and, yeah and, and very personal like yeah. I don't know exactly if that happened to him or to some degree he had some experience but um he brings a lot of him in his movies right like he oh, mentions so. cleo the maid that took care of them mm-hmm. the nanny in this movie too when um they're driving yeah you see her first bringing um 
a sandwich to Diego Luna. But just you see her like somebody coming is like, here you go, darling. And he's like, oh, thank you. And he just keeps sitting on the That's phone. Right. But then when they're driving, the narrator stops the movie again, the soundtrack. And he's like, Diego, whatever the character's name is. They pass through a, a, a sign that says the name of a town. Mm. And it's like, this is the town where the maid is from. And he chooses not to tell anybody. And he also chooses not to tell anybody that he used to call her mom That's right. until she was until he was three or something. Completely forgot that. That's Which is you know it's Roma. Yeah. Right. Well, um, the other thing about Roma too is realizing, knowing that it was autobiographical, knowing that yeah. so much of it is based on his own yeah. family and his own life. It wasn't until the scene. Uh, it was the scene they used for the Oscar clip. Um, uh, the scene in the restaurant at the getaway where. Where his oh, mother right, tells them right, right. about the family falling mm-hmm. apart. It wasn't until that moment that I figured out which kid is Quaron, and it's the one who cries. Right. It's the one who feels it yeah. the most. Um, yeah, yeah, everybody yeah. else is trying to intellectually process it, and he just breaks down. And yeah. It's like, you made this movie. Yeah, of course. Yeah. That's him. So then, are we to believe that he identifies more with Luna than with Garcia Bernal? I think so. I think so, yeah. Because. Um, the swagger. The notch, he's the rich kid. And the other one was him, or, mm. you know, well off. And Bernal plays kind of like the middle class, but way lower. And they have yeah. that class difference. The earthier, or at least the one with earthier pretensions, which is a Yeah, and they, he lives in an apartment in kind of like a, you know, middle class building where he has this huge, beautiful house mm-hmm. with maids. Yeah. So, yeah, I think... Uh, Quarones, Diego Luna. Yeah. <laughs> so are we? Yeah, and then that's the, that extends the the uh, the metatextual aspect even further. I mean, are we to assume that Luna went off and wrote this film? His character made this movie because that yeah. sort of echo thing is something I love about autobiographical fiction, where yeah. you know, like you you realize the movie you're watching is the memory of the fictional person you've been watching, right? Exactly. Um, which Roma absolutely yeah is, and here. Maybe that would explain the narrator. It would explain the monotone. He's struggling to keep himself mm-hmm. above it, but mm-hmm. the film keeps pulling us back in emotionally. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. There's a conflict that... Well, I mean, it's never expressed in the movie. It's only expressed in the narration, in, in what we see and what we and what doesn't happen or yeah. what won't happen and how... Yeah, they'll... You know, it's a tragedy on every level, but is the narrator trying to come to terms with it or is he absolutely dispassionately relating the events yeah. like evidence at a trial? Yeah. I think that's what it is, the second one. It's just more like evidential. Mm-hmm. Like this happened and at first it's very cold. It's just contextual. And then it's just, oh, and you need to know this. Yeah. Period. But without manipulation, really. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah, that's why I think it's cold. It lands so just, hard. Right? Yeah. Because it doesn't care if you get it or not. Exactly. And then you get it, and you are not pulled any strings, only by your own head and your own heart. Right? Yeah. Oh, I love this movie. I'm so glad you picked it. Oh, <laughs> you like it. Great. Yeah, well, I mean, it's always a... It's a good movie. That's, yeah. The great thing about the show is that from week to week, um, I, I mean, I can prepare, but the audience, the listener, has no idea what's coming right. and what the combination is. Yeah. So sometimes you'll get... Uh, completely inappropriate choice for the filmmaker or yeah. will feel like it and then yeah. over the course of the 
45 minutes, you'll start to understand why. And then by the end, of it, it's like, oh, yeah, of course, it makes perfect sense that you would choose yeah, this. of course. Um, but for yourself, um, the, the obvious question, really, is there anything of Itumama uh, Tambien in your own work? Have you, have you relied on it? Have you borrowed um, or stolen or, or been influenced? I, I think only um, the camera work. Um, the idea of having shots that are long, handheld, he's my main uh, inspiration what Chivo does, right? Mm. And then the creative um, solutions to, to framing shots that, that I think that's between the two of them, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's beautiful. Like, I don't know if you remember a scene in this movie where um, she's getting picked up by the two, like Tenoch and the other guy, the friends, mm-hmm. and you see the camera, she's getting all her stuff together, and then the camera follows her, and then she leaves downstairs and the camera stays in the room. Yeah, we're up looking at the And room. then looks out the window and then you see her going down. Like there's no cut there. They could have easily made a cut. Mm. And they decided to, to keep it going. And it's beautiful to have that moment where she's out of the building because as a viewer you feel a bit like, why are we still here? Yeah. But you have that sense of emptiness that she's leaving behind an empty house. And yeah. You truly feel it. And the next time you see the movie, you wonder if she ever made it back. Exactly. If that's the last time, if there's anything in the performance that tells us she doesn't plan to come home. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah. And um, and just not uh, another aspect, I would say, just the social aspect, that he's so talented in bringing social justice issues and political issues into his movies without being too strong or over the head or dogmatic mm-hmm. it's just like this is what's going on this is what I think very subtle but I'm going to tell you a story that is affected by this but it's not about this you yeah. know what I mean yeah well I mean children and men now looking back it's it's not predicting 2029 it's predicting the present day yeah um, yeah uh, Eric Johnson picked it like pretty much a year ago and, and we were discussing then the resonance of of England severing itself from the rest of the world and, and putting immigrants oh, in, in holding camps and it's all there and it's yeah. still there yeah but this is a film made in 2005 and it's just yeah it called it so well so uh, it's supposed to be 2027 2027 or 2029 yeah wow. 27 I think. 27 yeah it was um yeah just a little too quick yeah <laughs> we, we got there so fast i know it's very despairing <laughs> uh yeah i think it was supposed to be set is it 21 years later or it was whatever it is it's projected from the some it had something to do with the the age of majority or the age of um adulthood so there would the lat when the last young when the youngest person in the world dies it's someone who might have been born the year you see the film oh i think that was his rationale i'm trying to remember i might be getting that wrong but that was it's something mm-hmm. like that it has to feel like it's within the lifespan of a, ch- of a, a teenager or a child okay and uh yeah it's 2019. The only thing that we didn't catch up to is the heads-up displays on cars. Otherwise, right. we nailed it. <laughs> it's so depressing. <laughs> uh, but you shot documentaries for, for 10 years. Is, yeah. Is yeah. there a way to plan that far ahead when you're shooting documentary style to create, to compose, to frame the way that uh, Lubezki and Quaron do? Um, not really, unless you're doing recreations, which I don't do. Mm. Um, it's mostly more cinema verite, the way I shoot documentaries. Right. I think I like the way he shoots fiction because it resembles a documentary shoot. Sure. When you follow the, 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 the star, the actor, 
and you don't know what's going to happen, right? Like yeah. um, we when we shot the drawboard, many times the direction to the camera person was follow don't anticipate like follow the action right so if i'm gonna take this glass of beer don't be at the beer before i take it right. like follow my hand and and then do that which gives it it's very subtle mm -hmm. but it, when you're viewing it it makes it look like it's real yeah like it's a documentary action. it's unpredictable and if you do it just one second then it feels like a movie yeah like a fiction movie so we were like Okay, we wanted that, but that doesn't work. You have to follow the actor. Doing. Don't stay. In, although we want this close-up, yeah. we can have it. Right. Unless you follow the action of the hand. So yeah. I love shooting like that. You know, it just gives it that really raw energy. and mm -hmm. It's the feeling of life, right? The exactly. Something's yeah. happening. Yeah, and it might not be perfectly framed, but who cares? I think the other part is more important. Mm. Certainly. Yeah, I'm trying to draw it back to Vitu Mama Tambien, but that is it, isn't it? It's you're watching someone live. You're yeah. watching someone try to live. Yeah. And the two people around her who are literally closest to her don't see it. Yeah, yeah. And, and I love the fact also that um, the camera has a personality. It's an entity. It's not just we watch a movie. Like you feel the personality of the lens, you know, mm -hmm. um, like what we discussed, how he, the camera moves in the apartment and then you feel the loneliness or the emptiness of the apartment. Or at the beginning when um, one of them is having sex with his girlfriend and you see the camera slowly pan and see them, but it doesn't go in. It's almost like a voyeurism. Yeah. Like somebody watching them have sex. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's great because it's like, yeah, I'm, wire myself by being part of the audience so it makes it evident which mm -hmm. is great yeah yeah you think this is easy like you think all movies should be like this and then you realize just how complex a request that is and yeah. why they're not yeah it's just so uh, no wonder he only makes a movie every seven years now right yeah that's true huh? it's been a while it's gotta build up to it my thanks to Arturo Perez-Torres, who'll be down at the Canadian Screen Awards this Sunday as a nominee for Best Adapted Screenplay for The Drawer Boy, which you can stream right now at highball.tv. The movie, not the awards. Thanks also to Winnie Wong. She knows what she did. Arturo doesn't really use his Twitter account, but you can follow his movie at Drawer Boy Film, all one word, and you can find E2 Mama Tambien on Blu-ray and DVD in an excellent special edition from the Criterion Collection. I'm also hoping it'll be part of the Criterion Channel's lineup when it starts next month. The film is also available on iTunes and on Amazon and Netflix in the U.S. as well. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at SomeoneElsesMovie.com. If you feel like leaving a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or wherever you enjoy the show, that would be greatly appreciated. Every little bit helps. It truly does. Thanks for your support, and thanks for listening. Just too darn loud.